हेलो एवरीवन दिस इज कथक का चक्कर माय नेम इज प्रमित एंड दिस प्लेस इज डिजाइन टू बी अ सेंट्रल प्लेटफॉर्म टू ब्रिंग कॉन्वर्सेशंस विद कथकर्स अक्रॉस द ग्लोब रिकॉर्डिंग ओके सो अंदर दी हाउ आर यू आई एम गुड प्रमित हाउ आर यू I'm good. I'm glad we finally set this up. I know it's been a while. I know you've been trying hard. Face <laughs> off. So, Antari, just to start off with, um, what was it that drew you towards Kathak in the first place? Sure. So, um, I think I've told you this before. I think most of my students are aware. I started dancing when I was very young. Um, my ma, uh, my mom, she uh, used to train in Manipuri when she was younger. So she wanted me, of course, to get into dance, music, all of that stuff. And so she got me into a dance school at the age of two and a half. I had no idea what I was doing, but she saw the, the sense of rhythm in me. But then, once I got to about maybe six or seven years old, she put me in um, Kalamandalam, which is a very reputable Bharatanatyam institution in Kolkata. Taught uh, and Thankumuni Kutti is the main teacher there. She was extremely tough. It was a fabulous institution, and I think I did that for maybe two, three years. But then I realized that Bharatanatyam was really not for me. So after that, I started training in Kathak with a lady called uh, Bidisha Das Gupta. She was the student of Bandhana Shen. Bandhana Shen is also a, a very well-known uh, Kathak dancer in Kolkata. For you know, she's a lot, lot senior to us, and of course, even Amita Di, my my current guru. So I started really learning Bandhana Di's uh, style and. what happened was even though i was doing well winning competitions etc so uh, you know bidisha mashi was very happy with my progress she got married and i don't think uh, teaching dance was really an option for her after she got married so here i was looking for another guru and found amita di and i think the reason why i decided to stick to kathak um was mainly because the differences i started noticing between bharatanatyam and kathak um kathak even though it has boundaries it allows for a lot more flexibility i feel than bharatanatyam and i can only speak to these two because i have directly trained in these two dance forms another aspect of kathak that really speaks to me is even though it started off um as a storytelling art form which a lot of these classical dan- indian dances are started off in the hindu temples um there is a distinct uh element that came into this dance form through the persian dancers in the mogal courts right so this is the only classical indian dance form that has both this hindu and muslim sensibility which really appeals to me um i find it to be more interpretative so that it allows for more collaborative ventures it doesn't stifle creativity i think um i mean you see a lot of bharatanatyam compositions to say uh you know um all these common pop tunes now but that's not what what i'm really talking about um kathak does have roots in um you know these gypsy dancers uh and, and so there is this connection with spain through flamenco and kathak in india so there are these um you know commonalities that i think we a lot of people are resurrecting and i would like to do that too i think someday not just kathak and flamenco but kathak and um ballet for instance are experimenting with a lot of this so uh these are some of the reasons why i think kathak stands apart but even just the dance form with its spins with the footwork with the fact that you have to do things within the time cycle a uh, rhythm cycle so you have to be super mathematical i mean i'm no math guru uh, under any circumstances biology was my field but i remember a, a close friend of mine who trained rigorously in bharatanatyam and loving kathak tell me that anjadi i could never do kathak because i don't think i can do the parant and come to sum 
because I just don't have that. And I think as a as a Kathak dancer, we have to know how to say these things within the time cycle. So these are just a few things which you know which make Kathak stand apart, even though there are lots of commonalities. Storytelling, uh, rigorous training is required, origin in the Indian temples, and so on and so forth. Hope I answered your question, Prumit. Um, let me know. Absolutely. And I guess um, you mentioned a little bit about tra your training about Bidishadi. Could you touch upon what was it like training under Amitadi? Yes, absolutely. So Amitadi, uh, you know, I mean, when I first found out about her, I got to meet her through a distant cousin of mine. Um, mm -hmm. This cousin of mine lived in Malda and northern in northern Bengal, and she would come down to Kolkata from time to time to just um, do training with Amitadi. And at that time, I was looking for a guru, and I talked to Tumpadi, my cousin, and she said, you should come and meet her. And I did. And I was bowled over because this woman spends six hours a day perfecting her own technique, and then she would impart that training to her students. Uh, I have seen Didi do one single movement 150 times in front of the mirror, just wow. one movement, okay? That's the level of perfection that she used to strive for. And that's the kind of, um, you know, training that she would want us to be um, adhering to when we were training under her. Um, we used to have Sunday classes. Uh, it would start at 10. I don't think it ever finished at 2. I would never get home until past 3 o'clock. Uh, so everybody in Kolkata would be watching Mahabharata at that time. And here I was taking an empty bus going from uh, my house near Triangular Park to um, Theatre Road where Didi lived, Amitadi lived. And um, at that time, when we were her students, you know, she we were kind of like her first batch of serious students, and um, she herself was establishing herself. So it's not like she was there all the time, like every Sunday she was there teaching us for four hours. No, she herself was performing. She was traveling. She had a busy agenda. Um, but when she was there, it was like heaven because we would learn so much that day. But on the other days when she wasn't around, we still had the access to musicians, top-notch musicians. And so those of us who, uh, who were in class, we would have a fantastic time just rehearsing what we have learned with the musicians. So that was Sunday. Then on Tuesdays, we would meet just with the musicians to practice. And then on Thursday evenings, Amitadi started teaching at Aurobindo Pabon. And so some of us senior students would go help her teach. And that was the first time that I experienced what it would, what it would be like to actually teach Kathak to young kids. Um, how do I get them to stand properly? Posture is so important in classical dance or any dance form, honestly. Um, and how do I tell them to keep their hands in a particular way? How do they turn their hands? So, you know, we got an opportunity to watch Didi uh, tell them, and then we would kind of follow her along and, and do the same thing. So it was... Uh, it was so fun, Prumit, I cannot even tell you, because here I was slogging away at Presidency College doing my physiology honors during the day. And then uh, on, on the weekends and in the evenings, I would be completely immersing in Kathak and with fellow-minded uh, students, right? Our colleagues, or not colleagues, but uh, dancers in my same class, my batchmates. It was awesome. it was tremendous, yeah. Okay, and like since we're gonna we are touching upon the topic of teaching a lot, could you tell us a little bit of what were your early days of teaching like? Did you immediately take to teaching kids, or it was a process of learning? Uh, so I only started teaching in the U.S. I've never really taught in the in Kolkata uh, mm -hmm. because I came to the U.S. at a pretty young age. I just finished my uh, bachelor's degree in Kolkata and left. Um, and I knew that, you know, I was coming here to pursue academics. I was here uh, on a scholarship to do a PhD. That was my focus. I was, you know, getting used to a new country. Uh, everything was new. My entire life was new. I didn't know anybody. I was kind of establishing myself. And um, I knew that dance could be a distraction. So I had to focus on 
getting grounded in just, you know, academics first, getting settled down. But I, I realized that I was missing dance. And so in the early days um, in Iowa City, when I was a student there, uh, I used to perform for events because people knew that I danced. You know, they found out. So Sharshadi Pujo or Diwali functions. I was even invited for like um, galas. Uh, you know, I still remember being invited to a gala and... Um, the gentleman who invited me, he was a photographer. So he gave me a beautiful one of his photographs uh, at the end as a gift. I still have it. But even in North Carolina, when I was pursuing my PhD, I was hesitant to uh, start teaching because teaching is a huge commitment. It's a huge responsibility. I mean, if you want to teach seriously, right? I wasn't ready for that. <laughs> but then once I finished my PhD and I was getting ready to do my postdoctoral work at Duke, um, I then started realizing how much I was missing Kathak. And I realized that if I didn't teach, I would lose it because there wouldn't be the necessity to do it. I would only do it when you know, there was an invitation to perform. I wouldn't be getting up and dancing, you know, or practicing on my own. I don't think I had that in me, unfortunately, uh, because I was not a professional dancer. So I think I, I waited. Uh, it had to be the right time. And that was the right time. So I first had a small school in North Carolina. Um, and it was, you know, and then I had Akash, and so I had to take some time off. But I, I actually taught dance till I was seven months into my pregnancy. My doctor said, hey, if you dance now, you can dance then too. So I'm like, sure, I'll keep dancing. But then, um, you know, I because I had a child, I could only do like two hours max every, every other Sunday. So it was really small group. It did grow to about 25, 30 kids, I think, because uh, we lived in Cary for about seven years. But then we had to move and we came to Indy, uh, Indiana. Both Arup, my husband and I, we got recruited to Eli Lilly and Company. Um, we came here and my students in North Carolina were devastated. They didn't want me to leave. The parents didn't want me to leave either. Because, you know, one thing is true. In, in the U.S., you'll find a lot more Bharatanatyam teachers than you will find Kathak teachers, especially in the kind of places where I have lived. Um, in North Carolina and in the Midwest. So then moving to Indiana, I was very hesitant to get started with teaching again, given that I had broken so many hearts by having, <clears throat> sorry, left North Carolina. But God started teaching uh, based on the encouragement from some of my Bengali friends who had daughters and their daughters didn't find any good dance teachers. The moms really wanted them to dance because it's a way to stay connected to your heritage and your roots. So that's how I started. My first batch of Kathak students in Indy was a batch of six, all of them friends' daughters, except for one girl who was not, who had found me somehow. And today we have uh, more than 60 students enrolled in the school. So it's been a long journey, but you know, I realized that I had to teach, but I had to wait for the right time to start teaching. Awesome, like lots of great stories there. I had no idea you were dancing till you were seven months pregnant. That's amazing. I yes. <laughs> yes. I guess just, just, and just to understand who you are as a person and everything, it seems like everywhere you've gone, You've kind of not wanted to do it, but people found out that you're a dancer or they've encouraged you to do open classes. So what do you think it's about you? What what aspects of your personality do you think people are attracted to that they come rushing towards you to come to perform to open classes wherever you go? I guess I'm approachable. Um, you know, people connect with me that way. Um, uh you know, I'm passionate about Kathak. I'm passionate about what I do. I don't think I would have done what I'm doing if I if it wasn't for passion. So I think people see that. Uh, and then they see that there is this dearth of this particular art form. Um, when I was in North Carolina, we lived in Cary. It was a city um, close to Research Triangle Park, although I worked in Durham um, and Research Triangle Park. There was another lady in Raleigh 
Hasita Oza. I'm still in touch with Hasita. And she had a school in Raleigh. And then there was another lady called Mekala Natavar in uh, Duke. Mekala was actually teaching at Duke. So there were not that many Kathak teachers. There were many more Bharatanatyam teachers in, in the RTP area. When I came to Indy, I think I was the only Kathak teacher. I, I mean, even today, I know a couple of my friends in Columbus, Indiana are teaching, but not to the same extent that I am. So I think I'm very professional. So like if I say that I'm going to start the class at 11, I will start the class at 11. I won't start at 11.15. Um, when you're committing to dance with me, you have to, um, you know, I be up to a certain bar because I have expectations. You know, if you want to just have fun, then go for Bollywood. Don't come to my Kathak class. And I've told a lot of parents this. Believe me, Promit. I mean, when I tell you that I have more than 60 students in the class, I probably have turned away 100 in order to have had the 60. Um, so, I mean, I have this huge binder of students who actually came but didn't continue. Um, so this is not for everybody. And I make it very clear that, you know, I didn't take this up as a profession, but I'm super serious about it. And stick with me only if you're serious about it. Otherwise, hey, there are lots of other things you can try to do. So maybe that helped, you know, getting the message across. Um, and people just saw my passion. People saw that I uh, connected with my students. I think I always try to make it a point to connect with my students, those who are serious. Maybe those are the things that attracted them. Okay, and thank yeah, that really helps understand things. So, and one thing I guess you uh, by now that you've been doing Kathak in Indiana, Indiana, and you've seen the state of Kathak in the U.S. for so long. Um, what do you think it takes to run a successful academy in Kathak today in the United States? That's a bit of a tough question, Promit, mm -hmm. because um, I think people who run academies in the U.S. Uh, take that on as a primary responsibility, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, um, they do it as a source of livelihood. They do right. it... Uh, to train students who themselves would probably become professional dancers one day. Um, for me, the outlook is different um, because my career, uh, my profession is a scientist. I have uh, a science background. I've got a PhD. I work in a pharmaceutical company. I develop drugs to help people live healthy lives around the world. That's my my job, that's my career, that's my profession, that's also my passion. I love what I do. Um, so for me, the way I look at dance is, um, you have to be serious even in this pursuit of an extracurricular if you really want to excel. And that's the kind of message that I put across to my students. Most of my students who have done uh, their graduations from my school, uh, so far, we've had only 14 students would probably never choose Kathak as a career. They would be doctors and uh, scientists and lawyers and what engineers perhaps, but none of them would take dance as a career, but they were super serious about the training. Um, so I think in order for us to, for a person like me to have a successful uh, academy is um, be uh, consistent, be professional, um, be rigorous, set a high bar and expectation, don't settle for less, um, but still allow fun, you know, still make sure that you keep it entertaining enough that people will want to come back year after year after year. I mean, this year, just to give you an example, when we had to stop in-person classes and it took me a couple months to figure out that do I really want to do Zoom lessons? I did it because my students were, and um, you know, you are one of my students too, Promit, but my students were demanding it. They were, they were like, you know, we are bored. Can we do this? You know, so, um, but there are a lot of my students who are uncomfortable doing Zoom lessons. They would rather right. be in person. Um, so you have to kind of take all of that into account. You know, I mean, I have, some friends who try to teach tell me that 
people don't take them seriously. And and my feedback to some of them are, are you taking it seriously? Are you being on time? Are you setting your expectations right? Are you grilling them? Are you giving them the right balance of fun and knowledge? You know, so I think all of that really matters. Understood. Uh, that really makes sense in the sense how you put everything. And I had no idea you were struggling through Zoom classes because that transition was like, pretty seamless from where, where I was looking at it. You had one practice session and we were doing classes the next week or something. Thank you for saying that because I still don't enjoy doing Zoom classes. <laughs> I would rather have all of you in my class in person, you know? Um, yes, I mean, uh, I'll say there are pros and cons in the sense, yes. I, I do like being in class with everyone. The pros is that I don't have to butt elbows with anyone and I can- That's true. And there's a lot of space to move around, but yes. That is true, yes, agree. Yes. So now that given that you've had two passions in your life, one was you being a scientist and one you being in Kathak, have you ever felt like being pulled in different directions? If so, how did you deal with it? Uh, I won't say I've been pulled in different directions. I'm, I can balance this pretty well, I think, because, you know, I mean, uh, I live my life on my own terms. I'll be very honest with you. Um, mm -hmm. My family is extremely supportive, without which I couldn't have done this. But, you know, when they want to watch football, I don't meddle with that. I let them go watch football because I don't enjoy it. If they want to go see Indy 500 and cars zipping around a track for nothing, that doesn't excite me, but they can go and do <laughs> that and they know that when i'm dancing or when i want to catch a dance show i'm very serious about it and they better not mess that up for me you know so yeah. um but i think what i feel could have been different is if i were doing kathak full-time mm -hmm. uh given that i'm a high energy person i cannot even imagine what i could have done because right. You know, I turn away so many people, Promit. You know, in the middle of the year, when people come knocking on my door that they want to mm -hmm. start class, I'm like, sorry, I can't. Right. When people come and say that I really want to do more and I want one-on-one -on -one training with you, I have to turn them down. I'm like, mm -hmm. I don't have capacity. Right. So, I and I feel terrible because there are some students who are really going to benefit from a one-on-one -on -one interaction, but I'm limited. Um, but I think I do a pretty good balance. Uh, you know, like I will tell you work has to come over Kathak because that is my profession and I work with the Food and Drug Administration and you never know when the FDA is going to come knocking. So um, that does take priority and it could be 8 p.m., it could be 9 p.m., it could be Sunday morning, it could be Saturday afternoon, it could be any time that I would have to prioritize that over Kathak. But I don't feel like I've been pulled. I just have had to make sacrifices and I've had to make uh, boundaries, basically. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, I was going to say boundaries and I think you do a really good job of saying no to the right things. And in terms of like who you are as a, as a scientist at work and who you are as a teacher, would you say there's overlap as to how you show up into those different spaces? I think I learn from one role and apply to the other. Um, let me give you an example. So sure. um, working with FDA, you know, you have zero control. It's all negotiations, uh, relationship building. Um, and that's how I, you know, I have to work because uh, I am trying to get our Lilly drugs approved by the federal, uh, by the Food and Drug Administration and they will not approve it unless they see value and they have done an adequate benefit risk assessment of this drug and they know that this is gonna be useful for uh, patients in the US. How do I get about that? So I have to work with a cross-functional team at Lilly, get the right adequate data package, take it to the agency in the form of a submission, get it approved. But it requires a lot of relationship building within my company and then with FDA. Uh, when I teach, and I tell you I have 60 students, uh, maybe more, but of those maybe 45 are uh, young, uh, younger than adults, you know, so uh, they have parents who I have to respond to their requests. So if there are 45 kids, there are 90 parents that I'm dealing with. 
And that takes up a humongous amount of my time, just interacting and keeping in touch with these parents who have myriad questions about their daughter's um, education, Kathak education, or why this didn't go well and why that went better, or uh, why I took this decision and not that, and so on and so forth. So I think the the techniques that I use to negotiate with FDA comes in handy for me when I'm interacting with parents. And I think it's vice versa. You know, the fact that I can keep my patience, I've learned that as a teacher. I was not a very patient person. I, I still think I'm not as patient as I should be, but teaching has helped me with patience and that helps me also interacting with the FDA. So hopefully that helps, you know, I can transfer these skills back and forth. Awesome. And since you're talking about Nityangan Katha, which is your academy, just wanted to get a little bit more into it. Mm -hmm. uh, could you could you tell us about your the annual showcase, what happens in it and how it has evolved over the years? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, let me go back to 2011. Actually, let me go back to 2010. 2010, um, Lily India Network, which is the Indian uh, um, employee group within within Lily, they used to do uh, an annual program called Sangam. And I used to be part of the programming committee. I've even chaired Lily India Network within Lily um, and co-chaired uh, previously. Um, in 2010, when they did Sangam, they invited me to dance. And I had one student who, you know, she didn't really spend a lot of time. She kind of fizzled out after a point. Ketki Tamhankar, she was dancing really well at that time. So Ketki and I did a Tarana in the 2010 Sangam. That dance was a catalyst for my school. Prior to that, I had maybe... 10 students, 15 maybe at the most, uh, maybe not even that, very small group. Um, but that program, uh, it that dance was so well received that um, we, I started seeing everybody through the wazoos coming and asking about learning Kathak. I was just going nuts. And I, I told my husband that, you know, I didn't have the student number yet, but I think in 2011, I will have to consider incorporating my company because it's getting to a size that requires that. So that's what I did uh, in 2011, uh, Rityangan LLC was formed, uh, the, the for-profit um, section of the academy. I also have a nonprofit incorporated. So I have two different organizations, um, but I think what happened in 2011 that uh, is very important is also my first Rangmanch Pranam. Um, to, so 2011 was a pretty important year, I think, for our school. Um, the way I developed the showcase, though, we didn't start the showcase until, I think, 2013. Uh, in 2011 and 2012, I did two Rangmanches. Um, and then I realized that all the other uh, dance teachers locally, um, they did these this annual showcase and I was getting invited to all of these. And I'm thinking, you know, we are getting to a student number uh, that we can probably also pull something like this off. And at that time, I was teaching Kathak at Gregory Hancock Dance Theater. I was on the faculty there for about five years. I used to go and teach after work on Thursdays. And mostly Caucasian students over there, and, and they were brilliant. Um, so Gregory said, Andita, why don't you just do it in my school, in, in the academy? And I said, let me do that. So he has limited capacity. I think it's like 60 people can attend at a time. 60-65. So that was our first showcase in 2013. Um, and, you know, there were, um, you know, my, my philosophy has been that for the showcase, I'm willing to be more experimental. I'm willing to choose um, songs from Bollywood hits. I'm willing to experiment to uh, Sting's, um, you know, Desert Rose, for instance, and, and stuff like that. 
Um, so that particular showcase, uh, our first one, was such a hit. Uh, parents loved it. The main complaint was there was not enough space, Anandita. We could not bring our friends. We could not bring our family. You limited us to just two or three or four per, per, per family, and that's not enough. Okay. So after that, I had to think, okay, I have to take this to a bigger venue. So then I worked with Zionsville Performing Arts Center in 2014, um, and we did our second showcase in ZPAC. But in the meanwhile, because of Sangam, I was interacting with Kyle Bredehoft at uh, Pike Performing Arts Center, and Kyle was the technical mm -hmm. director there. And uh, we used to we we were doing Sangam there. I had performed there. I was um, you know part of the organizing committee again, so I was very involved. Um, but then I started seeing that Pike would be the perfect place for us, and the problem was Pike was extremely expensive, but um, I said, you know, I just have to move. And Zionsville was not being able to give me the dates I wanted. So I went there. The school was growing more and more people, which also meant that I needed a bigger stage to showcase the choreography. I needed a bigger hall so people could attend. And around that time, I think 2015 was the first showcase at Pike. Then I was like, you know, this is becoming to be such an exorbitant um, event, uh, what if I became a nonprofit because the nonprofit rates can actually be helpful. So I opened a nonprofit organization also. And I think in 2016 was when we first had it as a nonprofit. Um, we had, uh, you know, initially we would probably have two, 300 people uh, towards the end, even earlier this year, we had 750 in attendance. So. A lot of it is word of mouth, Pramit. I don't actively advertise. Um, honestly, we have a website, so you know, but uh, it's not like I'm checking on my website every month, even. But I have a webmaster who kind of does all that stuff for me. Um, but you know, given that the showcase has had a lot of repeat audience members not just my friends, but their friends and their friends. And and I've been on too many places in too many events where people have come up to me and said that you don't know us, but we know you. We come to your event every year and we love it. Um, and that just tells me that, you know, the mission statement that I had set up for my dance school to promote diversity and educate the Central Indiana community about this art form, I think we are being successful in doing that. So which is which is very gratifying, I think. That's awesome. And I guess since you're talking about the community and Central Indiana, and you know, when it comes to Indiana, you're almost like say the torchbearer of Kathak in this state. So how does it feel to be that person to you? Yeah, it's it's tough <laughs> given that Kathak is not my only thing. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I've had students come from everywhere in Indiana uh, oh. within an hour. So it, it's hard. I will tell you, it's hard to be the torchbearer of Kathak in the state of Indiana. I wish uh, there were more people. And, and also, you know, sometimes I wonder, Promit, how much longer am I going to be doing this, right? Mm -hmm. And it would be nice if there was somebody who would take this on and live with it after I am done teaching and I want to do something different. So... Understood. Understood. Yeah, I hope you find that person and that works out. And I guess my next question is now, uh, we, and we'll come to, we'll discuss the Rangmanch in detail. But outside the showcases, what are some other collaborations and events that you've done as a part of Nityangan that you might want to discuss? Yeah. Um, so one that was real fun uh, was um, uh, I think we performed that at Sangam. It was called Trikaya. Um, Trikaya involved a collaboration between Yakshagana with Rajendra Kedlaya ji, uh, Dr. Rajendra Kedlaya, who's here. He's the Yakshagana exponent. It's a folk 
uh, slash classical dance form from Karna the state of Karnataka. And they have extensive makeup and costumes and very distinct uh, movements. It almost reminds me to some extent of, um, of uh, what is that from Kerala? I'm blanking on the name. Uh, Shoot. Kathakali or something? Kathakali, okay. yes. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Promit. Yes, Kathakali. So that was a collaboration of Kathak, uh, uh, Yakshagana, and Bharatanatyam. And it was a very fun dance. Um, it was just me and Nidhi from my school, the, just the two of us doing Kathak. Um, and we had a few other people who joined later, but it, it was primarily the two of us. Um, but it was an awesome way to uh, show three different dance forms and how it can be set to the same music, even though we did distinct events also, just showcasing Kathak or Yakshagana or Bharatanatyam. Uh, that was a, a, an, uh, a request from one of my Lily colleagues uh, to be done at Sangam. So that was a fun memory. Another one was at Durga Pujo. This was a pretty early, um, I think maybe 2012, so quite like eight years ago when Lina Mohanty, she used to be an Odissi dancer who was in Columbus, Ohio, uh, sorry, Columbus, Indiana, and Vrinda Sunil, who is a Bharatanatyam dancer here. So I invited those two ladies and I said, uh, for Durga Pujo, let's showcase um, Bharatanatyam, Kathak, and Odissi together. And the dance that we all did solos, um, or I think I did not a solo, but I did it with Devika and Shivani. So there were three of us. Lena did a solo of the Shavatar and Brinda did a solo herself. Um, and then the three of us came together in uh, Rubin Roshongit actually, Vishobina um, Rabe. And it was, it was so fun, that collaboration. Um, Another one I think that was uh, memorable was um, Regimon Varghese used to be uh, a member of the India Association of Indianapolis uh, board. Uh, he sat, he then had his own non uh, nonprofit uh, company and he came to me and said, hey, I'm starting this nonprofit organization and we want to do uh, an event every year and I want you to be uh, on the board. I want you to be a part of this. Um, and I said, absolutely, because I had worked with him uh, on another occasion prior. So I knew that he was very committed. So this was what we did with the first year of Nritya Priya as an organization was Ram, uh, Sri Ramacharitam. And Sri Ramacharitam, uh, we did uh, Yakshagana, we did uh, Bharatanatyam, and we did Kathak. So Ram and Sita were Bharatanatyam dancers. Actually, Ram, was, Ram is also a Kuchipuri dancer the lady who did it. Um, Rajendraji was Ravana and my student uh, Karnika was the, gold, uh, the golden deer. So here was an opportunity again to work with all of these musicians. These were musicians from India. Uh, this was also an opportunity for me to meet Amudan for the first time and know that there is another tabla player in town. So that's how I got to connect with him. So these were some real fun collaborations. Unfortunately, Nritra Priya um, doesn't exist anymore because Regimon had to leave town and he's now in, uh, in North Carolina, but um, the memory still lives on, you know. Um, and other than these uh, collaborations, I also had the opportunity through my dance school to bring Birju Maharaj's troupe Kalashram from um, Delhi to here. So the musician um, who played sitar with us, Chandrachur Bhattacharya, I know him as Chandunda. Chandunda plays for Maharaji's troupe. That was my connection. And when I heard that they were touring in 2014, I worked with Chandunda and then Shashwatiti. And this was an amazing experience, Pramit. I mean, I wish you would have been here then because you would have totally loved this experience. Um, the experience with spending time with Maharajji and Shashwatidi, uh, Utpal who plays tabla, uh, Chandunda who plays sitar, uh, and then Maharajji himself sang, you know, and uh, it, it, was, it was a mesmerizing event. So uh, that was held at Pike. And 
my connection with Gregory Hancock uh, allowed me to be in touch with this person called James Kramer. James uh, is in the Butler University um, School of Dance, um, Butler Ballet. He's part of that every year. Uh, James reached out to me because Clues Memorial Foundation uh, at Butler was wanting to bring this dance troupe called Ragamala from Minneapolis. And they hadn't done anything like this before. They, this was the first time they were bringing an Indian dance troupe here. So James and I connected and we started working together to see how we could bring Ragamala here. But James, um, it was not just bringing Ragamala, it was doing a lot more as events leading up to the Ragamala event. So James and I went to this school uh, where uh, we did an outreach program with the children there in a, uh, I think it was a third grade class uh, with, with this lady. It was so fun. With him, I also went to the Indiana uh, Acad Deaf Academy, Academy for Deaf Students. Uh, that was an incredible experience because here I'm dancing with my Kungru to people who don't appreciate sound or cannot appreciate sound. Right. But they were reacting to my body movement and they were reacting to the vibrations and they you know i mean it was i cannot even tell you that experience um and then he also wanted me to do like the five senses and how would i present the five senses in terms of uh, showing the indian diaspora so um how do i do smell you know like spices perhaps that's what we ended up doing touch was like I took a whole bunch of different Indian fabrics you know I, I just took it out from my sari closet basically you know and then mm -hmm. we danced and, and we had music and but I think the most important piece that I remember from that uh, collaboration was an opportunity to be interviewed by um, David Hochoy. David is the creative director of Dance Kaleidoscope here in town. He is an incredible dancer. I mean, you know, David and Gregory are both extremely talented individuals. David is trained by Martha Graham in New York. So that's his pedigree. You know, I mean, he's, he's just a fabulous, uh, director, dancer, and, and DK. I love DK just as much. I think I like GHDT. Um, but David interviewed me. Uh, it, it was called uh, Conversations with David, I think. Uh, it's probably, the link is probably still on my website. That was an incredible experience. Um, that was the first time that I had sat down with somebody and talked about Kathak so much, about my life experiences and how I translate that through Kathak. So um, so these, these collaborations kind of stand out. Um. So talking about collaborations, um, one story comes to mind. This was uh, when I was much younger. I was a graduate student in Iowa City going back home to India after the first year that I had spent in the U.S., and this was on my trip back from Kolkata, India to um, Chicago, which was going to be my port of entry in the U.S. And uh, while I was waiting in Calcutta Airport or perhaps even a connecting airport, I found that the flight was delayed and I had picked up a box of mishti, my favorite mishti from one of the uh, sweet shops in Kolkata. This was Kirechach. And I thought, why not indulge in one uh, while I was sipping my coffee? And I noticed that this gentleman was looking at me intently and he was staring at me. And I was wondering, is he staring at me or is he really wanting a bite of this mishti perhaps? Um, so that's how I met George Wolf, And we struck up a conversation and I found out that he was a musician and a professor at Ball State University in Indiana. He plays the saxophone. Um, but that he was also interested in learning tabla. And he used to go to um, San Francisco to the Ali Akbar College of Music over the summer to um, do sabbaticals and learn tabla. And then he was back in India for additional training. Um, 
So it was a very interesting conversation, as you can imagine. I was uh, very interested to hear more about what George did musically, being a saxophonist and a tabla player. And he was interested in me because I was a Kathak dancer. So we continued with that um, friendship. And um, a few days later, when um, um, George reached out, on his way back from a sabbatical in California that he would like to visit us in Iowa City, um, I thought it was a great idea. So George came over with his mom on his way to Indiana, stopped by our apartment, and he played tabla, I danced, um, and we had our friends over, uh, got together for a lovely dinner. So it was it was a very interesting experience. But I think what remained with me from that experience is the fact that George wrote a poem about this, um, which I find uh, amazing because, you know, it's not often that somebody writes a poem about you and your dance. Um, so if you don't mind, Prometh, let me read a little bit about this, uh, or, or rather read this poem to you. So it is uh, titled The Kathak Dancer. My heart beats faster than the taker to which she moves. As she dances in this holographic dream, the stars exploding beneath her feet. In her, the planets spin in perfect synchrony, while the solar wind longs to touch her ink-black hair. Her eyes grab hold of my breath. Her face shines like the Calcutta moon. I look away, glance at her feet, reach out from beyond the zodiac where Shiva reigns. Um, what a beautiful piece of work. And I hope that I can reconnect with uh, George and perhaps even consider doing some collaborations in the future. I think that would be a wonderful idea to pursue. So, yeah, so those are some very cool memories and of collaborations that I've had thus far. Looking forward to many more, hopefully. Yeah, awesome. You've had an incredible life on that, and I'm sure there'll be much more to come. I hope um, so. <laughs> and I guess since you talked about choreographies, and could you tell us a little bit about once when you've decided that you've de you're going to be choreographing this song, how do you translate a song into dance movement or into a choreography? Yeah. So um, I try not to see anything that has already been done because you know in in this era in 2020 with youtube and all of these other social media platforms there's just way too much information out there and for me it is the music how is that music speaking to me and that's how i will choreograph and yes i do choose Bollywood songs, I will agree, but I don't choose songs willy-nilly. They have to be able to be choreographable, you know, in order for me to choose that song. Um, and then I have to set my stamp on it. So I, I would rather not look at anything that has been done, uh, other than, of course, I've probably seen the movie. But uh, like when I saw Devdas and I saw Kahichir Mohe being done by Madhuri and Maharajji, um, you know, doing the poem right uh, and uh, it's incredible but when i choreographed kai cher mohe i did it my way i did not want to be mm -hmm. influenced by how madhuri is doing that dance even though she is right. you know she's an icon in the mm -hmm. kathak right right so um but i think what i am i have to say is you know when i when i think about songs for the showcase as i mentioned before choosing the songs, I'm not that rigid. I am extremely rigid when it comes to Rangmanj. I have disappointed so many parents with so many song choices when mm -hmm. they've come to me with Rangmanj songs. Because see, Rangmanj, you know, the way I do it, I, there are four pieces that every student has to do because those are the ones I learned. And mm -hmm. then I give them flexibility on the Vandana, I give them flexibility on the song of choice. And then some of my students like to do um, an extra dance. So they do eight pieces instead of seven. And I've given them flexibility with that as well. Mm -hmm. But, you know, parents will come and propose songs that are ludicrous in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, like, Neno mm -hmm. You know, I'm like, no. 
Okay. <laughs> not in the Rangmanch program. I, mm -hmm. you know, do that at a wedding. I'm fine with that. Right. And put your, you know, hip movements and whatnot, you know, and, mm -hmm. and to make it Bollywood. But I cannot do that in the context of a Rangmanch. Mm -hmm. uh, but then, you know, I have been flexible with my students. Like, for instance, Mira came to me. She's a fabulous dancer. And she said, Auntie, I really want to do this song by Marshmallow. I'm like, Mira, this is the first time you're asking me to choreograph to this hip hop or whatever. No, this is not even hip hop. It's like EDM, you know, I'm yeah, like, yeah. I can't stand EDM. Uh, I don't <laughs> think it's original at all, but I, I know I would have crushed this girl's desire. And so nice. my, my thing to her was, Mira, you have to get your other seven pieces done. Mm -hmm. And only then I will consider an additional piece for you. And okay, we'll do marshmallow. Okay. Fine. And this girl beat every single timeline for all her seven dances. You know, I just mm -hmm. didn't have a chance to say no to her. Right. But choreographing to that song, I'm like, how do I do this? You know, uh, there are some things like, what do I do? I mean, do I make this... Um, more free flowing or should mm -hmm. I be rigid with the Kathak uh, to this song? I mean, I had to think through that quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Then another parent came to me and said, um, he had two girls. That was my only time when I had two girls, okay. sisters graduating together. Mm -hmm. And the dad said, I really want to you to choreograph to um, What a Feeling. Okay. I'm like, okay. Mm -hmm. uh, that was a hard song to choreograph to. And and again, that was my my thing back to them is we have to get all the other dances in order before I will even consider that option. And these girls together did 11 pieces in their showcase because there were two of them. So there were some wow. duets and some solos. Okay. And they got all of that down, you know. Mm. I see. Yeah. Yeah, I would say yeah, I've seen the marshmallow dance. It looked pretty amazing on stage. I had no idea you had any difficulty choreographing it. I, I'd I'm love bad. to hear that. Mira, I have to give credit to Mira Promit. She executed mm -hmm. it beautifully. She's a very sincere student. She really and, and very passionate about dance. So I think she did a great job executing. Yep, totally agree with that. I saw her rangmanch. It was really amazing. And usually, usually I do. I'm, I have a hard time sitting in one place and watching something for three hours, but not for Mira's rang much at all. I'm glad. So. That's very positive feedback. Thank you. So, like, since we've talked about the rang munch, can you tell us the process of how you figure out who's ready for a rang munch and who's not, and what does that look like? Right. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, when a student comes to me, I try to see whether the student has dance in them some students have it within them. It just manifests, you know, they they can get away with much less sometimes, not when they are training for their rangmanch, but, or when they're in their private lessons, but in group settings, they, they can execute very fast and better than other students because they just have it, it's innate within them. Then there are other students who are driven by passion and are wanting or willing to work extremely hard. So I have these two buckets and then there are others who kind of fall in the middle and they're like, yeah, I'm doing it really because my parents want me to do, but it's also fun. So I'll do it. But there is lack of commitment among those students. So it's these two extreme buckets about the innate dancer versus the one who's a hard worker. Those are the qualities I'm looking for in a student before I will, um, you know, express uh, either to the parents or the parents come to me that these people are ready for uh, moving on to Rangmanch. Uh, but, you know, it takes a few years because you have to have certain things under your belt because a lot of the things that I teach in my classes um, are incorporated in the uh, choreographies for Rangmanch Pranam. So, um, for instance, you know, um, you are learning Lurie 1. You just finished Lurie 1. Lurie 1 is not in any of the RMP uh, pieces, but Lurie 2 is, Lurie 3 mm -hmm. is, Lurie 4 is, Lurie 5 is. Okay. okay. Wow. So, so that's the reason why you need to have certain things under your belt. And then when I, what I'll see is um, I also have to keep this in mind. And living in America, I have become better about stuff like that. Um, the students have to do this 
before they graduate high school. Once they go off to college, they are gone, okay? Um, so that becomes a limiting factor. And I do not want any of my students to be training in the junior year of high school because that's the hardest year. And they have mm -hmm. to submit their application uh, in the senior year in fall. And right. so, so I have to do all of that scenario planning as to this person has to do this here, that person goes there, and so on and so forth. So the students who have done Rangmanch with me, the fastest that anybody has was four years, and that was Karnika Mehrotra. Karnika came to me from Chicago. She had mm -hmm. already trained in Kathak there. Right. So, and she was very conscientious. Mm -hmm. And I think the longest anybody has taken was uh, Me Too, Shurmishta. Me Too came to me when she was six, mm -hmm. and she did her Rangmanch when she was 16. Okay. And uh, the reason for her 10 years is not because she wasn't capable of doing it earlier. It was because I had to have other students graduate who were older than her and who were leaving and graduating high school and were going off to college. Right. And then I also didn't want me to, to be doing it uh, during her junior year. So, you know, I have to have all of those things in plan. But the way this process works, Promit, is um, when I see this potential, I go out and reach out to the parents and I tell them that I'm going to move them to private lessons with me and they do a year of private lessons with me which gives me a, an idea uh, an opportunity to assess them are they ready are they mature enough are they going to be able to go through this grind of this excruciating one year of uh, getting ready for RMP if they are ready, then I tell the parents, then we start planning for Ragmanch Pranam. So that takes up another year of intense training. So that's kind of how I take my students through. So by the time they are um, maybe a month away from Rangmanch, they can do this in their sleep. Interesting. Yeah, and they don't feel stressed one bit. Yeah. That's great. Okay. So, and tell us a little bit about the evolution in the relationship with your students. So you go from say a week, okay, one, one class a week cadence to more intensive contact during that whole year. So how does your relationship with your students change during their year of Rangma training? Yeah, it changes completely. I think I become their second moms during that time. Okay. <laughs> the relationship I have with my graduated students is just incredible. I have found out about their boyfriends before their parents have found out. Okay. Oh, wow, so, okay. Yeah, exactly. It is huge, right? So it it is an incredible, because it's so much commitment from my side and from theirs. And, and it's just amazing to see how they transform by the end of that year. You know, even when we start off, uh, the hesitation they have that, oh, I won't be able to dance that lurry in that speed. Auntie, I don't think I can do it. And I'm like, no, you can. And I know you will, because there have been so many people ahead of you who have, and you will too. Right. Otherwise, you would be, you would not be in this yeah. time slot with me, you know? Mm -hmm. True. So it, it, it really is an incredible bond that we develop. And, and it's not just with the parents. It's for the most part, it's also with the, uh, sorry, not just with the student, it's also with the parents. Um, you know, I've had wonderful relationships with a lot of these parents and who have gone above and beyond and, you know, sponsored our events, uh, helped out like when Maharajji came, uh, one uh, of the student parent, who's also a neighbor of mine, she made tea for everybody one evening. I still remember she would bring food over for Maharajji. Wow. I mean, these parents have been incredible support system. And, and most of these are the parents with whom, whose daughters have gone through the Rangmanch Pranam, with whom I've had developed this uh, additional level of uh, closeness, I think. Okay. And I guess on that note, since we're talking about, say, support systems and people who supported you, could you tell us a little bit about how your family, like your husband and your son, have supported you through your... Right. They know that when, uh, Akash knows at least, that when mom's uh, teaching, he cannot bug me. <laughs> and he knows that from a very young time. So I think that has helped him be very independent. Um, you know, uh, I've been gone for hours on the weekends instead of spending time with him. But for his events, whenever he's needed me, I've been there. So whether it required me to... Uh, 
you know, leave drop work in downtown Indy and hike up to Carmel and then take him for his music lesson in Butler University, I would do that. Um, but they know that I'm extremely, I, I don't take this lightly. I don't take Kathak lightly. I do it uh, because I'm passionate about it and I wouldn't do it if I were not giving it my 110%. So they know it, my commitment to this dance form and they are extremely supportive. Um, you know, the, my husband, uh, Arup won't come to every event with me. He doesn't anymore, but I still remember when we were, um, I think we were still dating in, in North Carolina and I was a postdoctoral fellow at Duke University and the American Dance Festival happens there every year. And Amitadi actually was one of the um, um, invitees one year. Mm -hmm. She came for a residency program. She came to Durham for two weeks as part of ADF. So yeah. I got to see her a lot during that time. Uh, it was just so fun. Um, but I remember pulling Arup into all kinds of dance events during okay. ADF. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. Bilobulus and, uh, you know, um, uh, Paul, well, I'm forgetting on uh, this, Paul okay. Taylor. Yes, mm -hmm. Martha Graham. You know, all these companies would come and perform ballets uh, from, um, uh, what is that ballet company that I um, had seen even in Kolkata, not Bolshoi, but... Uh, they did Giselle and I'm blanking on the name right now. But anyway, he I would he would come. He would come. But with time, of course, you know, um we we both get busy with our work and, and other responsibilities. And then we have this unwritten rule that when I want to go for a dance concert, I go for a dance concert and I'm unavailable that evening. And when he needs to go see a basketball game at, at uh downtown Indy with Akash to see the Pacers. I'm totally cool. They need to go and do that too, you know? So we just have come to that realization that, you know, we we have different interests and we need to be mutually respective of that. Awesome. And thank you for putting that in perspective. And that kind of brings me to my last question. Uh, and I know it's been a bit weird with COVID, but I also know that you've also, you've still been turning down Kathak projects, which means you probably have a lot on your plate. So in terms of say future projects and things like that, what are some things that you're looking forward to? Right. Um, good question, Pramit. Um, I'm still kind of thinking about uh, the 2022 showcase, right? So we won't mm -hmm. be able to do one in 2021, which is rather right. sad. Mm -hmm. um, but under, under the current uh, pandemic situation, I don't think that's a smart idea. And given the fact that I work in a uh, pharmaceutical company, I know that for a fact that it's not a smart idea. So I'm still figuring out what I want to do for 2022. Um, I would like to now, uh, you know, I think I have the manpower. I think I have the uh, establishment to uh, start collaborating with other Kathak dancers. Um, that's another thing that I would really like to do. Prashant Shah of New York has told me on many occasions that he would like to come and do workshops here. I think Antaradatto, who's in Ohio, would like to do that. I think Anindita Nyogi Anam, you know, she would like to do that. So yeah. uh, instead of always trying to bring dancers from India, I would like to be able to leverage relationships that I can forge in this country. And I came to that realization only after going to NYKF last year. Um, you know, that was just a, a fantastic experience. I didn't dance. Uh, I didn't even try. Uh, you know, I was there just to soak it all in um, and learn from from everybody. I didn't do um, necessarily workshops because I also have family in New York and I wanted to connect with them. But the shows, uh, the way the the young kids, you know, people your age really, Pramit, who uh, were the organizing committee, the, they came together and put the show together and got dancers from India and Singapore and uh, Europe and, and all over. I mean, it was fabulous. And I would like to be able to uh, go there more, uh, connect with these dancers more, and then bring them back here for experiences for my students. Uh, Prashant has often mentioned that Anindita, I can teach uh, a piece and then, then you can showcase it. And I'm like, yeah, I think that would be wonderful, you know, as part mm. of our showcase. Yeah. Okay. 
that'd be great because i think yeah, i was just uh, one of the few interviews i had like few weeks ago was with mitali and she works on the marketing team of navatman so be really interesting to see prashantha mitali sonar uh-huh yeah 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 mm-hmm. okay so yeah it'd be really interesting to see that as well yeah uh, anisha muni is the person that i interacted with the most mm-hmm. anisha is a very sweet girl uh anisha and then uh hena kaniju okay so these are the two that i worked with mostly but uh prashant you know i i've known prashant for a few years now uh mm-hmm. then rita mustafi didi uh in minnesota she has been um very much a part you know uh, uh, when i was hosting maharaji i used to call her up and she even taught me how to make rabri because maharaji loves rabri so okay. i even tried to make rabri for him at home um and i'm not sure if i was very successful but yeah <laughs> yeah okay yeah and to, so with that thank you for sharing that story that makes there's makes up for some lovely things to hear about on the show it's probably uh, different from the other interviews promit i mean you are my student you you know you know my school you know a lot about me uh, mm-hmm. so i think this interview is going to be a little bit different than the others perhaps Absol- oh yeah absolutely i think uh, especially i've never had a i've never had a i've never had a scientist who makes you know life saving drugs who also does kathak as a passion so lots of things that are unique about this interview lots of very interesting things to talk about for sure very good um, Yeah. So with that, I kind of yeah bring this podcast to an end. Thank you, Anjali, for coming to the show. Absolutely. Yeah. You're very welcome, Promit. Have a wonderful rest of your day and night. Yep. <laughs> Bye. Bye.